CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London, now on the 25th and 26th of September this year. It's such exciting news, and I am looking forward to seeing all of you guys on Podcast Row and checking out all of the exhibitors. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths. Learn from leading criminologists. Hear from the families and survivors. Meet your favorite true crime podcasters. Immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by crime and investigation. And I will be there all weekend with bells on and a GNT in hand. So come and join us. And remember to quote Mens Rea for your special 10% discount. Limited tickets are on sale now. You can pay in installments, and tickets are, of course, COVID-proof. For more information, head to crimecon.co.uk. I can't wait to see you all in September. You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Patricia O'Connor. that you grab while it's here, as the Irish summer is an unpredictable and short-lived thing. In that spirit, an extended family had spent the day in the Wicklow Mountains, hiking and picnicking, spending time there until the late summer evening started to creep in. At around a quarter to eight, the group returned to their car on the old military road near to the Glencree Peace and Reconciliation Centre, only to realise that their vehicle had been broken into. They decided to search the area in case any of their belongings had been discarded nearby. The military road cuts through a bog that blankets the mountains, dotted with areas planted with pine trees. The road is bordered with lush green verges covered in grass and ferns. Members of the group began scouring these, checking for the contents of a stolen handbag. While doing this, they noticed an odd-looking item lying on the slope of the roadside verge. It looked like someone had discarded a piece of a pig carcass, but on closer examination, one of the members of the group thought that what they'd actually found was a partial human torso. They called the guardie. Unfortunately, their suspicion was correct. The family group had stumbled upon partial human remains, which had been dumped not far from the roadside in the mountains. A large-scale Garda search was mounted, as it was clear that there were still more remains to be found, and it was thought that they had likely been disposed of in the same way. Over 200 Garda and personnel from the Defence Forces, along with the Garda Water Unit and tracking dogs, were drafted in to comb through the scenic area. Throughout the next number of days, Garda's suspicions were proved correct. Limbs and torso parts were found along a 25-kilometre stretch of the old military road. Two other pieces of remains were found at the Glen McNass waterfall and a piece at Loch Bray Lower. A head and hands were found together in a plastic bag. The body parts appeared to have been thrown from a moving vehicle as it drove along the old military road. 
Initially, Gardy believed that the body was that of a young man, but as further remains were uncovered, it became clear that this was an older woman who had been left dumped, and a DNA test confirmed this. By June 14th, the body was identified in papers, and the victim was named as Patricia O'Connor, a retired hospital chef in her early 60s. She was a mother of two and grandmother of five, and was from Rathfarnham, South County, Dublin. Patricia had been reported missing on the 2nd of June. At the time of that report, there was nothing about the circumstances of Patricia leaving home that had led Gardy to believe that Mrs. O'Connor's disappearance was suspicious. That day, the Irish Independent revealed that earlier in the week, on Monday the 12th, a man in his 30s had presented himself to Gardy in Rathfarnham in relation to Patricia's death and the disposal of her body, and had given Gardy information. The paper went on to say that the man had been released because, at that time, the investigating team in Bray still believed the remains in the mountains were that of a man. But the information provided by that man had led Gardy to a makeshift gravesite in a field in County Wexford, where Patricia O'Connor's teeth and hair were observed. Later, Superintendent John Roach would say that the man in his thirties had not been turned away as previously reported and that he had been brought directly from Rathfarnham to Wexford, where he had met with detectives from Enniscorthy. Either way, the 32-year-old had accompanied Gardy to the site, and he was arrested there late on the evening of the 13th. Eight separate crime scenes were cordoned off as part of the murder investigation, including a house in Rathfarnham, the grave site near Kilmuckridge, County Wexford, and a spot near the Hellfire Club in the Dublin Mountains. Other areas in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains were also being considered crime scenes. Gardy were working from a theory that Patricia had been killed during an argument where she was hit over the head with a blunt object, and that an initial abortive attempt to dispose of her body in a shallow grave was made before she was dismembered with a hacksaw. Gardy were, at that stage, still looking for weapons used in the crime and appealed for members of the public who had been driving or cycling along the old military road, who had GoPros or dashcams fitted to come forward, or anyone who had driven the route to come forward for elimination from the investigation. Meanwhile, neighbours recalled that Patricia O'Connor had been a lovely woman who kept to herself and had recently returned to the area after 10 years of living elsewhere. Patricia was 61 when she was killed. She shared her family home in Mountain View Park with her husband, a daughter, her daughter's partner, and five grandchildren. Patricia had last been seen by a neighbour in the Nutgrove area when she was power hosing her driveway. On the morning of the 15th of June, the 32-year-old man was charged at Bray Garda Station with the murder of Patricia O'Connor and was brought before Talla District Court that day. There, he was named as Kieran Green, with an address at Mountain View Park, Churchtown, the same as Patricia O'Connor. Kieran Green was the partner of Patricia's daughter and father to three of her grandchildren. The killing was said to have occurred on the 29th or 30th of May. Judge Patricia McNamara heard that after the charge was put to him, Mr. Green had said, quote, it was self-defence. Kieran Green was granted free legal aid and remanded in custody, and his solicitor asked that the court ensure that he receive medical attention while there. 
At the same time, Gardi, assisted by members of the army, continued with a detailed search of the field near Kilmuckridge, where the shallow grave had been found. House-to-house inquiries also continued, and CCTV from near to Patricia O'Connor's home in Mountain View Park was collected. Superintendent Roach said that a number of items had been found in the course of their searches, which had been sent to the Technical Bureau for further examination. Patricia O'Connor's funeral was held in private at the end of July. Her daughter Louise told the press that it was a quiet ceremony in order to allow her family to grieve in peace and out of the public eye. Then, on Saturday the 2nd of September, three further arrests were made in relation to Patricia's murder. A 73-year-old man was taken in by Gardy in County Meath, and a 19-year-old woman and a 38-year-old woman were brought in in Dublin. The three were detained in Bray and Wicklow Garda stations under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. All three were later released without charge. On Tuesday the 26th of September, a further arrest was made when a 40-year-old man was arrested in Dublin and brought in for questioning at Bray Garda Station. At the end of 2017, the Book of Evidence was served and a court date was set for Kieran Green by Mr Justice Patrick McCarthy for December the following year. Investigations into Patricia's murder continued, however. In early January of 2018, guarded divers searched the banks of the River Dodder in South County Dublin, near to the Furhouse Shopping Centre. At that point, the river runs alongside a large park, and its banks were overgrown with bushes and shrubs. The guardie had to use strimmers and saws in an effort to locate an implement thought to have been used in the course of the disposal of Patricia O'Connor's body. On the 17th of October 2018, a further four people appeared at Tala District Court, charged with impeding the Garda investigation into the murder of Patricia O'Connor. 74-year-old Augustine O'Connor from Stromullen in County Meath and Stephanie and Louise O'Connor, with addresses in Gardner Street, were all accused of frustrating the efforts of the Garda at Mountain View Park in Rathfarnham on the 29th of May 2017. Louise was Gus and Patricia's daughter, and Stephanie was Patricia's granddaughter. 41-year-old Keith Johnson from Tala was accused of the same offence, having occurred at Woody's DIY and other locations on the 9th of June 2017. He was Louise O'Connor's ex-partner and the father of her two eldest children, including Stephanie. After a brief recess to confirm the powers of the court, all four were granted bail on their own bonds of €200 each, with undertakings to sign on weekly at local Garda stations and to surrender their passports. Free legal aid was also granted. A few days later, on the 24th of October, Keith Green's trial date was vacated, as it was the state's intention to deal with him and his four co-accused in the case altogether. Green was remanded in custody until the court could assign a new court date in January of 2019. This episode is sponsored in part by the wonderful folks over at Best Fiends. Summer is here and we are slowly returning to normality. 
With the better weather, I'm finding myself sitting outside a lot more, and I'm really enjoying pulling out a deck chair and burning through a few levels of Best Fiends while the kids are on the trampoline having a blast. What could be better than a bit of sunshine and some relaxing downtime with my favorite puzzle game? There are over 5,000 levels in Best Fiends, which is great. I'm never gonna run out of levels, no matter how good I get. The storylines and challenges that come with the monthly events really draw me in, and there's always something new to do. The cute characters and bright graphics make sure everything is engaging and fun to look at. I spent the first hour or so after I'd finished my work last week playing, and the summer solstice challenge that was on at that moment had great prizes. Unlimited lives for an hour? Yes, please. It's the perfect way to wind down. Make the most of your summer downtime and spend some time with your favorite fiends. Download Best Fiends on the Apple App Store and Google Play for free today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And finally, this episode is not sponsored by the following podcast, but it's an absolutely riveting listen and I desperately want you to download it. So buckle up for how the yes was won details in the show notes. The most draconian interpretation of what the amendment might mean was the one that was taken in terms of legislation. There were obviously people going on the boat to England. We would hear about it and know about it, but very much hush-hush. We said women will die. That was our last leaf that we put out. Clearly says women will die, and they did. So it just felt really oppressive walking around Dublin seeing all these anti-abortion posters when you couldn't have one if your life depended on it literally. It was when people began to say I'm not in favour of abortion except and that was the beginning. We knew a referendum was on the way. After the marriage referendum, we know that it was the next thing that had to be changed. We had a plan for social media if it went no. and We had a plan for if it went scrappy down to the wire and we had absolutely no plan for a landslide. It's always really hard in this moment where you want to take a moment to celebrate, you know, for some catharsis because you're exhausted, but you still know it's actually not good enough. How the Yes Was Won, a podcast about the Eighth Amendment. Out now, wherever you find podcasts. On Tuesday, the 14th of January 2020, a jury was selected for the trial of Kieran Green and of three of his co-accused. Six men and six women were impaneled and were warned that not only would the trial be lengthy, they should prepare themselves to hear disturbing details of the crime, which would involve the disinternment and dismemberment of Patricia O'Connor. The charges against Louise and Stephanie O'Connor and Louise's ex-partner Keith Johnson alleged that all of them had acted with the intent to impede Green's apprehension or prosecution with the knowledge that Kieran Green had committed the arrestable offence of murder. The state alleged that Louise O'Connor, Patricia's daughter, had allowed her daughter, Stephanie, to disguise herself as Patricia O'Connor in order to hide the fact that Mrs O'Connor was dead. Keith Johnson was accused of having helped Kieran Green buy various implements to help with the hiding and disposing of Patricia's body, and that after Patricia's death he had refurbished the bathroom at the Mountain View Park home in order to conceal or destroy evidence. All four of the defendants had entered not guilty pleas to the charges against them. 
Mr. Justice Paul McDermott was presiding in the case, and the following day, senior counsel for the prosecution, Ms. Roisin Lacey, delivered the opening statement. The court heard that Mrs. O'Connor's remains were found in 15 parts strewn across the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains at eight different locations, ranging from the Glen McNass Waterfall to Glen Cree and the Sally Gap. Before her death, Patricia had lived in a four-bedroomed house in Mountain View Park with her husband Gus, her daughter Louise, her daughter's partner Kieran Green and Louise's five children. Keith Johnson did not live in the house, but he was Louise's ex-partner and the father of two of her children, including Stephanie, who was also a defendant in the case. Roisin Lacey said that conditions in the house were quite cramped and this had led to tension and interpersonal conflicts between the family members in the house. It was the state's case that Kieran Green had killed Patricia O'Connor when she'd been hit around the head which is the story he had initially told Gardy after presenting himself at a Garda station while Mrs O'Connor's body was still being recovered from the mountains. This had changed, however. In the defendant's second version of events, he placed the blame for Patricia O'Connor's death and dismemberment on others and said that he had been persuaded to take the blame by members of the family. The jury would also hear that the state alleged that the defendant, Stephanie O'Connor, had dressed as her grandmother in order to be caught on a neighbor's CCTV to try and make it appear as if Patricia was still alive. The following day, a number of Gardaí appeared as the first witnesses in the case. Detective Sergeant David Conway told the court that he had been tasked to take a number of photographs of Mrs. O'Connor's remains at various sites across the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains in June of 2017. He had also gone to a house in Mountain View Park in South Dublin, where he took pictures of what looked like blood staining on a kitchen wall and an external wall. Under cross-examination by counsel for Kieran Green, The detective sergeant agreed that his visual inspection of staining in the Mountain View house did not constitute a confirmation that blood was detected. Then Garda Gerard Ganyu described taking photographs in what he believed was a barley field at Killa, Blackwater in County Wexford in June of 2017. In the field was a shallow grave which had in it pieces of hair and a cloth-like material. Garda Brian Shiggins, a scene of crimes examiner, had photographed and bagged items found in bushes and undergrowth in a park near the River Dodder in Talla in January of 2018, which included a hatchet and two hacksaws. The implements had been uncovered by Garda Seamus Murphy on the 2nd of January 2018, just off the path in the linear park in Talla and in the undergrowth on the banks of the river. It was Garda Murphy's impression that the items had been thrown into the bushes. They were rusted and had been there for some time. Another Garda had photographed tools purchased by the investigating team, which included hacksaws, axes, knives, rubble sacks, wellies, a petrol can and gardening gloves. They had been bought by Gardie to try and replicate a previous purchase, alleged to have been made by some of the defendants. A second scene of the crime examiner had photographed a silver Toyota Corolla vehicle in June of 2017, which belonged to the O'Connors and that Kieran Green had use of. Then Christine Murphy took the stand. She had been on a family picnic with around 14 people on the 10th of June 2017. 
First, they had all gone to the Sally Gap, and then they'd moved to another area off the military road near the Glen Cree River. They arrived at the second location at about half past six, and 40 minutes later, Ms. Murphy and her sister-in-law returned to the cars to get baby wipes. On the way there, Christine told the court that she had seen something on the slope of the embankment near the road that looked to her like a piece of pig. She didn't know what it was and had pointed it out, but the two women didn't go near it and returned to their picnic. When the group decided to leave for the day and returned to their cars, they noticed a window had been broken from one of the cars and a handbag had been stolen. They began looking around the area to see if the robbers had discarded the bag or any of its contents, and Christine Murphy had seen the strange object again. This time, she'd called her brother over to see it. Jonathan Murphy continued with the story and told the court that he had gone over to the embankment to see what his sister had pointed out to him. Asked to tell the court what he had seen, Mr. Murphy said, quote, It was an upper torso, from the ribs up to the neck. There was one arm longer than the other. End quote. There had been a bit of discussion amongst the family members as to whether the remains were human or not, but they became quite certain that that's what they were looking at and called 999. Gurdy, who attended at the scene, described seeing the torso lying quite close to the road only about two metres or so from it. One said it was his impression that it had arrived at its resting place when someone stood on the verge and, quote-unquote, chucked it down the embankment, where it came to a sliding stop. Noel Rouen took the stand then and described another discovery of remains in the mountains. He and his partner were walking at Glen Macross near Lara when they came across what they thought were the organs of an animal. They were identified as further remains of Patricia O'Connor. On the second day of the trial, the jury heard statements from army officers who had assisted Gardy in the search for Patricia O'Connor and who had discovered a number of body parts during that operation. Again, the remains were not far from the roads. The statements were particularly graphic and gruesome, with one army private saying he had located remains when he noticed a foul smell and flies in the air. Crime scene examiner Detective Garda Jeanette O'Neill gave evidence that she had attended the various scenes where Mrs. O'Connor's body had been found. Ultimately, 15 sections had been found. Each was allocated a number. The jury were shown a piece of paper with a drawn outline of a human body with labels from 1 to 15 indicating the various sections of the human remains recovered and the location of where each was found. She told the court that the remains were in various stages of decomposition. Garda O'Neill recounted to the court that on the 13th of June, investigators had determined that the victim in this case was a woman when a head was found. It was recovered in a plastic bag along with the victim's hands. There was blunt force trauma apparent on the head with visible fractures and lacerations. Detective Garda O'Neill continued that it was her belief that Mrs. O'Connor had not died at any of the scenes where the body parts had been recovered, but on foot of the results of the post-mortem examination and various injuries apparent to Mrs. O'Connor's head, it was Garda O'Neill's conclusion that she had suffered a violent death. Garda O'Neill had also gone to the O'Connor's house in Rathfarnham while the technical examination of the home was taking place. 
She saw no signs of blood or a struggle there, but noted that the house was very untidy. There had been an attempt to paint the hall and bathroom, and new tiles had been put into the shower. She told the court it wasn't a very good job. The jury was also shown a child-size hurley, a small wooden stick used in an Irish field hockey-like game. Detective Garda O'Neill said that there was no evidence of contact on the wood, indicating that it had been used to strike anyone. A forensic scientist, Dr. John Hode, also gave evidence that afternoon and told the court that he had analysed a DNA sample taken from the remains found in the mountains and a sample from Louise O'Connor and found that the remains were those of Patricia O'Connor. Dr. Hode had also examined the Mountain View Park house. After a visual inspection, he found no blood, but then he went back in with a chemical spray he called Blue Star, a chemical similar to luminol, which reacts with blood. It was used in the bathroom and a small front bedroom in the house. After this, there was a positive reaction for blood on the bathroom floor, in between tiles in the grouting. A swab was taken from this area which returned a low-level DNA profile from a male which eliminated Patricia O'Connor as the source. No blood was found in the bedroom or on the child's hurley. Items found near the dump site on the military road also had no results. Inside the boot of a silver Toyota which Kieran Green had use of, there was a similar negative result but the boot mat was missing. Hair samples from the makeshift grave in Wexford and the hacksaw found at the river did have biological material present, but it was insufficient to make a DNA profile from. The forensic scientist told the jury that DNA could degrade over time. The following Monday, on the 20th of January, after a break for the weekend, Garda Sergeant Patrick Carroll, who was in charge of the search in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains, gave evidence. He was also present when the items were found on the banks of the Dodder and told the court that a, quote, considerable number of items, end quote, had been seized from the O'Connor's home, including a box from a mobile phone, a black suitcase, a pair of brown work boots, and two pairs of Wellington boots, which were outside at the side of the house. Detective Garda Colm Lawler from the fingerprint section of the Technical Bureau had assisted with the bagging of human remains between the 11th and 14th of June. He had taken possession of a black bin bag and took impressions from the fingers and palms of the remains that were inside. These did not match anything in the National Fingerprint Database. Detective Garda Lawler also examined the plastic bag but no identifiable finger or hand marks were able to be developed from it. The Mountain View Park home was also examined for fingerprints left in blood, but the detective did not find any. A number of receipts were taken from the house. Two were from Homebase, another was from B&Q, and another was from Woody's in Tala. They were all dated in early June 2017 and were for items such as gloves, saws, grout, mats, paint, glue, and axes. A receipt from Shoe Zone on the 19th of June was for two pairs of Wellington boots. After this, Garda Andrew Quinn told the court that he had been on public duty in Rathfarnham Garda Station on June 1st 
when Richard and Gus O'Connor had approached him at the counter and said that Patricia, Gus's wife and Richard's mother, was missing from home. The report was entered into the Pulse system. The Garda had contacted various women's shelters around Dublin in an effort to locate Patricia, but there was no sign of her there and her bank card had not been used since the 29th of May. Garda Quinn contacted Louise O'Connor over the next week and discussed having the family provide a photograph and making it known to the public that Patricia was missing. But then, on the 12th of June, again when Garda Quinn was on duty at the station, he was told that Kieran Green had presented himself at the counter saying he had killed Patricia O'Connor and then dismembered her body. That evening, he'd taken a statement from Louise O'Connor in her home in Mountain View Park. Louise told Garda Quinn that she lived in the house with her parents, her partner Kieran Green and her children, and it was her family home. She'd grown up there. Her mother Patricia had left when she was five or six, and had moved back in again 16 years before. Louise continued saying that since her mother's retirement from her job at Beaumont Hospital a year previous, Patricia had been, quote, extremely hard to live with, end quote. There were constant arguments about what Louise deemed trivial matters, and this was what had happened the night Patricia went missing. An argument had started between her and her mother over receipts that Patricia wouldn't give her, and about car insurance. Louise alleged her mother had tried to strike her over the head with a teapot. At some stage, Louise had refused to go out and buy cannabis for her mother, which also made Patricia angry. Louise said her mother was a prolific cannabis smoker. After this, Louise had gone to the park with her kids and her dad to get out of the house. Kieran Green had stayed behind and an argument between him and Patricia had started up when Patricia had walked into the bathroom while Green was in the shower. Louise recalled that Green appeared stressed out when she and the kids returned home. Her father had stayed in the park walking the dog and she said Patricia was storming around the house. Eventually, sometime after 9pm, the front door slammed and Louise went outside and saw her mother making her way up the road. Louise told the Garda that she thought that the older woman had a bag with her. The next morning, when Louise woke, Kieran was doing some work in the bathroom. Louise told Garda Quinn that her mother had been at Kieran to do it, and he wanted to try and get some of the jobs around the house done before Patricia came home. Keith Johnson, her ex, was helping Kieran, and Louise explained that the two of them got on well. Her mother had been reported missing later in the week when Patricia hadn't returned and her family were becoming worried. Louise then said that that day, the day she was giving the statement, Mr. Green had been really upset and was crying and hugging the kids. He'd said to her, quote, I'm sorry, but I hurt your mom. I didn't mean to. She was lashing out at me with a hurl, end quote. Kieran said that Patricia had returned after leaving the house that night and they'd ended up on the floor fighting. He told Louise that he didn't know what had happened. He'd panicked, and now he felt he had to hand himself in. On Tuesday the 21st of January, the jury heard evidence regarding four voluntary interviews given to Gardie by Kieran Green while Mrs O'Connor's remains were being recovered from the mountains. 
Garda PJ Foley had been on duty in Rathfarnham Garda Station on June 12, 2017, when he noticed a nervous-looking man sitting in the waiting area. When Garda Foley approached the man, who he identified in court as Kieran Green, he asked to speak to someone in charge, and Garda Foley had asked if there was something Mr Green wanted to speak to him about. At this point, Mr Green had said he had killed Mrs O'Connor and had disposed of her remains in the mountains. Kieran Green had said there had been a fight and Patricia had been killed. Garda Foley agreed with senior counsel Connor de Valley, who was representing Mr Green, that when he had recounted his interaction with the defendant, he had done so in quote-unquote Garda speak, rather than using the exact wording that Mr Green had used. Then Detective Sergeant Lucy Miles told the court that she had let Kieran Green into the Garda station through a side door, and he had told her that he had done something awful and that, quote, the stuff up in the mountains was me, end quote. The defendant had then said he'd blacked out, wasn't sure what had happened, and later threw the pieces of Mrs. O'Connor's body all over the mountains. Green had gone on to tell Detective Sergeant Miles that the remains were that of his mother-in-law, though he and his partner weren't married, but they'd been together for 10 years. Mr. Green had then handed over the keys to a Toyota, telling the Detective Sergeant that it was the vehicle he had used while disposing of Patricia O'Connor's remains. Detective Sergeant Miles was aware that dismembered remains had been found in the mountains, but at the time it was thought that they may have been that of a male in his 20s. Even so, Sergeant Miles cautioned Mr. Green and decided to conduct a voluntary interview at a quarter to eight that evening. Green's second interview, conducted by Detective Garda David Connolly in Rathfarnham Garda Station, was recorded. Garda Connolly told the court that the interview had started at 9.18pm and Mr Green had been asked if he wanted a solicitor but the accused had insisted that he didn't need one and he just wanted to talk to Gardy and quote, get it over with, end quote. Green had continued, quote, I came and handed myself in. I couldn't live with the guilt. I kept looking at the kids. I've always wanted them to do the right thing. I told them all what happened, end quote. Kieran Green had gone on to describe the arguments that were going on in the house on the 29th of May, saying Patricia had gotten angry when a cat got into her bedroom. Patricia had called the rest of the family leeches and left with a suitcase. As she walked out, Mr Green recalled Patricia had called out, quote, I'll be back when Gus pops his clogs, end quote, referring to her husband. That night, after everyone had gone to bed, Kieran had stayed in the sitting room and, at around midnight, he went into the bathroom. While he was in there, the door had opened. It was Patricia. Green told Gardy that she yelled at him to get out and then came at him swinging with a hurl. She had hit him on the arm as he tried to block the blows. After that, Kieran Green said he wasn't sure what happened, but described waking up from blacking out and finding Patricia on the ground. He thought Mrs. O'Connor had hit her head on the tiles and saw a pool of blood beside her. In a panic, Green had brought Patricia upstairs to a bedroom. He wasn't sure, but thought that at that point she was dead. After a while, he dragged Patricia back down the stairs and put Patricia's body into the boot of the car. He had no real notion of where he was going, admitting to Gardy that he just wanted Patricia's body out of the house. 
In his third interview on the 13th of June 2017, Kieran Green told Gardy that it had been a long 10 years living with Patricia O'Connor and that she had been verbally abusive to other family members consistently and constantly throughout that period of time. He also told Gardy that he had cleaned blood from the bedroom floor with bleach and a plastic blade and said he had used hot water and bleach in the bathroom with a mop and bucket. The defendant described driving away from the house in Rathfarnham with Patricia's body in the boot, saying he was crying the whole time. Eventually, he got to Wexford and saw a field that Green said he thought looked okay. He dug, quote, a bit of a hole with his hands and a stick he found before covering Patricia's body back up with dirt. But after a few days, Green had gone back to the makeshift grave because he was afraid that the body would be found. And he told Gardy he didn't think having left Patricia's body in the field was fair on the farmer or his family or his partner Louise and their children. Green made the decision to move Patricia and had the idea that he could take her into the mountains. However, after managing to unearth Patricia's body, Kieran Green told Gardy that he was unable to move her from the spot. He thought he was going to have to go up to the farmer's house and come clean, but decided in the end that if he dismembered Patricia's body, making it into smaller pieces, he'd be able to move her. During this process, Green said he had vomited, telling Gardy that all he'd thought of was the kids. As he continued his story with Gardy in the interview, Green sobbed as he described putting Patricia's dismembered body into bags and loading the car before attempting to fill in the place where Patricia had briefly lain buried. Green said he had then driven up through the mountains and after passing the viewing area at the Hellfire Club, he began to open the bags at the bottom and dump out parts of Patricia O'Connor's remains. He had not picked any specific areas and when he was done, he got back into the car and cried. He said he was relieved that the children would no longer have to live with the quote, torment and pain she caused, end quote. He then got rid of the bags, the mat from his car boot, the saw he had used, the hurley that had been used in the fight with Patricia and his clothing. At the time of this interview, he told Gardy he couldn't remember where he had done this, however. Eventually, Green said he had no longer been able to live with what he had done and told Louise, who he said was shocked. The Garda relaying what had occurred in Green's interview had also gone with the defendant to the site of the makeshift grave in Wexford. Detective Garda Connolly had observed an area of disturbed earth in the centre of a clearing, similar to what Green had described to him. He also saw what appeared to be hair in the soil. After this, at about half past seven, Detective Garda Connolly arrested Kieran Green. In court the following day, more interviews with Kieran Green by Gardy were gone through, this time having taken place in Bray. Mr. Green had described for Gardy some of Patricia O'Connor's behaviour that he alleged had led to tensions in the house. Green said he believed that Mrs. O'Connor was making genuine attempts to kill members of the family and described an incident where his partner Louise appeared to have an allergic reaction to a glass of Coca-Cola. She was allergic to penicillin. 
Patricia had also allegedly asked her kids to kill her husband, Gus, saying she'd sign the house over to Louise if her daughter carried this out, and if Louise was caught, she could blame her Graves' disease. Green had insisted that he hadn't planned Patricia's killing, and that he had not simply decided to let Mrs. O'Connor die. He had been concerned only with keeping his kids safe from the fear Patricia had caused in the household, he said. The defendant had admitted going to certain shops and buying household items, which were used in the course of disposing Mrs. O'Connor's body. He insisted, though, that Keith Johnson had had nothing to do with Patricia's death, and Louise's ex had only found out about the death when Green had told the family what had happened before handing himself in on the 12th of June. Gardy noticed, however, that there were some inconsistencies in what Mr. Green had told them and the physical evidence that had been uncovered at that point in the case. The description of what Green had done to the body didn't match up with the remains that had been recovered from the mountains. When the question was put to him, Green had no answer as to why the injuries on the body didn't match what appeared to have been found. Then, on the afternoon of the 21st of January 2020, Dr. Michael Curtis, former deputy state pathologist, took to the stand. Post-mortem examinations on Patricia O'Connor's body had been carried out over four days, between the 11th and 14th of June 2017. They'd taken samples of both bone and DNA to assess the sex of the victim in the case. Initial results from the bone sample indicated that the body was that of a man, but DNA would later prove that the remains were from a female. A toxicology report indicated that no drugs were present in the body at the time of death, though some alcohol was. According to Dr. Curtis, sharply cut edges of bone apparent on most of Patricia O'Connor's remains indicated that the dismemberment had likely been carried out with a power tool, like a reciprocating saw, excepting in the case of the hands and wrists. In this instance, the cut bone was more ragged, indicating a hand tool, like a saw, had been used. Dr. Curtis had also observed a number of lacerations to the head and scalp and three fractures on the skull. One was a depressed fracture on the right front side, which led to a further hinge fracture. Underneath this was bruising, and the pathologist was of the opinion that a strike to this area had been the underlying cause of death for Mrs. O'Connor. In the pathologist's opinion, death would have been rather quick. On the 23rd of January 2020, the court heard that Green had made a further statement six months after his arrest for Patricia O'Connor's murder. In this, Green retracted his previous statements and said that he had not actually killed Patricia O'Connor. Kieran Green had requested to speak to a member of the investigating team while on remand in Cloverhill Prison. Detective Sergeant Brian Hanley had gone to the prison with a video camera and spoken with the defendant. A memo of this interview was read to the jury by Ms. Lacey, senior counsel for the state. The story started the same, with an argument erupting between Patricia and Mr. Green, apparently instigated by Mrs. O'Connor. 
But Kieran Green now said that in the course of this row, Gus O'Connor had come down the stairs to the bathroom with something in his hand, similar to a crowbar. Mr. Green alleged that Gus had confronted Patricia, asking what she was doing, and in response, Patricia had swung the hurl at Gus. Gus then hit her in the head with the bar he was holding. Green alleged that Gus had said to him, quote, I'm defending you so you can take the rap for this, end quote. The people in the house had panicked and together they had put Patricia's body in the boot of the car and Kieran had driven down to Wexford. Meanwhile, Louise cleaned up. The defendant said that a few days after this, Keith Johnson had been told what had happened and Green had asked him for help. A few days later, Mr. Johnson was alleged to have come back to Mr. Green with a plan. It was then that Patricia had been disinterred, but both men had done this. It was Green's assertion that Mr. Johnson had then dismembered the body. The two had then both engaged in dispersing Patricia's body through the mountains. Afterwards, the two men had changed clothes and burned what they had been wearing. The tools were thrown along the banks of the River Daughter by Mr. Johnson, and it was Mr. Johnson who had done the work in the bathroom in the Mountain View Park house to cover up signs of the struggle. Explaining to Detective Sergeant Hanley why he had made the previous statements, Kieran Green said that he had been persuaded to take the blame for the whole thing. He said that Stephanie, Patricia's granddaughter, had dressed up as Mrs. O'Connor and left the house with clothes and a suitcase to make it look like her grandmother was still alive that night. The defendant told Sergeant Hanley, quote, We all agreed I would take the blame. The guardie thought I was messing. I told them I wasn't. I feel I shouldn't be taking the blame for all this. I feel like I was set up because my missus and Keith are going back out. I reckon this was all planned. They are out there and I'm taking the rap for it, end quote. Green said he hadn't said anything sooner because he had been concerned about his kids. After this statement was read out, Mr. Justice Paul McDermott gave the jury a direction that nothing in that statement could be considered by them as evidence against any of Mr. Green's co-accused. That day, forensic anthropologist Laureen Buckley also gave evidence. She had attended the post-mortem examination on Patricia O'Connor's remains and had examined the cut marks left in the bone. The edges of bone on the pieces of body were clean and sharp, and some of them even fit perfectly together. However, again, the court was told that the cut marks to the hands and wrists were different and more ragged. Then, a statement from Michael Wallbank from a UK forensic science laboratory was read into the record by Ms Lacey, which said that hairs found in the shallow grave could have been from Patricia O'Connor or anyone else who was a close maternal line relative, as the mitochondrial DNA was a match. However, it was not possible to develop a full DNA profile from them. As proceedings continued that afternoon, it became apparent that the statement made by Kieran Green was not the only statement by a defendant that the court would hear. A statement given by Stephanie O'Connor was read out for the court. The younger woman said that the relationship between her mother and her grandmother Patricia was very strained. Stephanie described Patricia as difficult, saying she'd made Louise's life hard and that she sucked all the energy out of Louise. According to her, Patricia liked to make people unhappy. 
After this, Stephanie went into more detail about the argument about the cat on the evening of the 29th of May for Gardee, explaining that Patricia had been annoyed about Stephanie's cat Ziggy being in Patricia's room, as the grandmother thought that the cat had fleas, because Patricia had bites on her ankles. Stephanie and Louise thought that these had been caused by bedbugs in Patricia's room. There was more shouting and yelling and Stephanie and Louise had left the house. Later, Patricia had left, making the comment about Gus popping his clogs. That night, Stephanie said she had slept and had heard nothing. She then stated that Mr. Green had confessed to the family that Patricia had been killed and said it was the right thing to do to own up to the wrong you've done, while crying throughout his confession. Stephanie recalled that Green had described the later argument with the deceased woman. Just like Louise and Stephanie O'Connor, Keith Johnson had also made a statement on the 14th of June. In his statement, Mr. Johnson had told Gardie that he lived in the Mountain View house for just over a year, when he and Louise were together, but he'd had to move out because he and Louise fought a lot and he found Patricia aggressive. Keith's daughter Stephanie had told him in early June that Patricia had gone missing when he was speaking to her on the phone. Johnson admitted having done some work in the O'Connor's bathroom, fixing a broken step, after noticing it was in need of repair. Kieran Green had helped buy wood, but this was unusual as Mr. Johnson said Kieran Green was, quote, useless around the house. Keith Johnson went on to tell Gardie that he had also grouted tile, but said, quote, I kind of thought that I could be potentially cleaning up a crime scene. It was a slight feeling, a nagging thought in the back of my head, end quote. Johnson had even looked around for anything suspicious. The court was told that all of the statements given by the co-accused in June had been given on a voluntary basis, and the jury were again reminded that nothing from the statement of one accused could be used in determining the guilt of another. Detective Garda David Connolly, who had conducted an interview with Kieran Green, was also cross-examined that day. He admitted that Gardie had not initially believed Kieran Green's story about having killed his mother-in-law, given the information that they had, which stated the remains in the Dublin Mountains appeared to be that of a young man. It was also a very unusual story, the detective had said. Connolly went on to confirm that Green had made no mention in his story about having removed Mrs. O'Connor's hands, and that at one point Green had said that we went to Wexford instead of he went there. On the 24th of January, the final day of the second week of the trial, Detective Garda James Doolan described for the court the so-called controlled purchases that had been made at a number of shops on the basis of receipts found at the O'Connor's home for items like axes and hacksaws made on the 9th of June. The manager of the B&Q accessed CCTV from the store, which was viewed alongside an officer who noted two men, who he believed to be the defendants Mr. Green and Mr. Johnson, making a purchase on the 9th of June, the same day as the receipt. The manager accessed the point-of-sale system in the Tallis store, brought up the receipt from the time of that purchase, and gathered the items bought by the two men for the Garda. 
The Garda then carried out a controlled purchase of these items and compared them to those found along the edge of the Dodder Lanier Park in Tala. The new tools were brought into the court and shown to the jury, along with photos which had them side by side with the hacksaw and so on found on the banks of the River Dodder. Garda Collins had carried out a similar procedure of controlled purchases in Woody's DIY in Tala and Shoe Zone at the Square Shopping Centre on the 20th of June and at Woody's DIY Long Mile Road the following day. On cross-examination, Garda Collins was asked to pull at and to try to tear an extra strong rubble bag to test to see if it could be torn by hand. Garda Collins agreed that the bag was strong and it was difficult. The bag was then passed to the jury box to allow them to carry out their own inspection. Detective Garda Morris Hickey also carried out a controlled purchase, this time at Mr Price Discount Store on the Ayrton Road in Tala, and the items from there, a jerry can, vinyl tape and rope, were shown to the jury too. Then a neighbour of the O'Connors gave evidence. Mr. Sam Lynn had lived in the house next to the O'Connors since 2010. Mr. Lynn said that the O'Connors were nice people and very helpful. They'd contact him if his house alarm went off when he wasn't in. Louise's kids would also play with his son. On the 13th of June 2017, he found out that Patricia had died when Gardie called to his house. They looked at his CCTV system for the cameras he had placed around his house. The hard drive for the cameras was taken away by Gardie with Mr. Lynn's permission the next day. Mr. Lynn told the court that he had not seen anything unusual on the day that Patricia had supposedly left the house after an argument, but he did notice that the kids from next door hadn't been playing outside or calling for his child. The witness also confirmed for George Burns, acting on behalf of Stephanie O'Connor, that he had never spoken to any of the O'Connor family about his CCTV cameras. Court resumed on the 27th of January after its adjournment for the weekend. Detective Sergeant Barry Turner recalled for the jury that he had arrested Louise O'Connor at her home on the morning of the 2nd of September 2017. She'd been brought to Bray Garda Station where she was interviewed. She had told the interviewers that she didn't really understand why she had been arrested as they had already arrested someone who, she said, had, quote, put his hands up. Louise was asked about her relationship with her mother and had told Gardy that living in the house was like walking on eggshells and Patricia told both her and Stephanie that they should have been aborted or raped. Patricia would fight over silly things and was aggressive, though Patricia had never raised a hand to her outside of the incident where Patricia tried to hit her in the head with a teapot. She had asked Louise to kill Gus, Louise's father, and blame it on her Graves' disease, which she did have, but Louise had refused. Louise had described the argument over the cat and her mother leaving in anger on the night of the 29th of May. The woman hadn't seen Patricia leave the house as she was in the bathroom at the time, but she had gone out to the road and seen Patricia walking down the road and turned to the left. Louise told police that her mother was, quote, always getting up and going off, end quote. Two weeks later, she said, Kieran had told her that he had killed Patricia and had described the altercation that night. Louise told Gardy, quote, there's only two people who know what happened that day. Mima's dead and Kieran's locked up. 
I understand how bad the situation got. I don't understand why he did what he did. I can't understand why he didn't get an ambulance, why he didn't call the guards. I didn't harm a hair on her head. I never did. I will go to my grave knowing I didn't harm a hair on her head. End quote. On the 29th of May, Louise had thought that her mother would return the following morning and would throw everyone out of the house. Louise O'Connor said that she had been offered a council house and did want to leave her mother's home, but the house she'd been offered was too far away from the kids' school. She had started to suspect something had happened to her mother only after a number of days had passed and when Patricia hadn't returned for her brother Richard's birthday or one of the kids' birthdays. The jury was then brought through Louise's statement, which had been taken when she was viewing CCTV from the neighbor's house, and the jury was shown the CCTV itself. There was an image of a person walking down the O'Connor's path and out of the garden into the street at 9.34pm. The person turned towards Nutgrove Shopping Centre and was wearing a green coat and jeans. Louise told Gardie she thought that this was her mother. At around 10pm, another figure walked down the path, looked down the road and returned inside. Louise said she thought this was her. Then, at 10.23, her father returned home from his walk with the dog. There was also footage from the neighbour's camera, which took in part of the back of the O'Connor's house, which had prompted Louise to comment that having the camera pointed at the back of the house was an invasion of privacy. This camera had picked up a figure Louise identified as her mother at a quarter past noon at the back patio door, and then again at 20 to 7. Then Louise herself and her daughter Stephanie were in the back just after nine talking, but she told Gardie that she didn't know what they were discussing at the time. The back door was closed just after ten, but Louise didn't know who was shown in the video doing this. She agreed that as her father was still not home at the time, it must have been her, Stephanie or Kieran. Gardie also showed her that someone had walked into the house from the back in the dark just after 10, and Louise said that from the video someone had obviously gone into the house through the side door and also appeared to be carrying a bag, but she wasn't sure. The next day, the court continued to hear details of further interviews with Louise O'Connor. Gardie put it to her that the CCTV didn't show anyone bar the figure she had identified as her mother leaving the house, and yet there was someone who appeared to be avoiding the camera entering the house in the back, though Kieran, Stephanie and Lorraine were all supposed to be inside. A suitcase found in her father's bedroom was also shown to her, and Louise agreed that it was identical to the bag carried by the figure leaving the house, but Louise suggested that it was perhaps one of a set. She denied that the person leaving the house was her daughter, Stephanie, and that she couldn't tell if the figure moving around in the back of the house on the video that night had light hair or not. Earlier in the day, on the 29th of May, Kieran was on the video at the back of the house closing the curtains at 6.53, despite the fact that it was still a long while away from sunset at that point. Gardie asked Louise why Kieran would be closing the curtains, and Louise had responded that she didn't know, suggesting maybe he was trying to block light from the TV. 
Louise and the kids had left shortly after, and Gardie suggested Kieran had closed the curtains and the family had left because something had happened in the house. Louise denied this. She also denied once again that Stephanie had dressed as Patricia, and it was her that was seen in the video footage leaving the house with a suitcase. Louise went on to insist that she had not heard Kieran leave in the early hours of the 30th of May or arrive back at the house at 6.18 that morning, though she said it was possible that she was awake at five minutes to seven when Kieran appeared in the back garden again and looked as if he was speaking to someone in the house. Gardie put it to Louise that the story she had told them was a, quote, web of lies, end quote, but Louise denied this and said that there was no plot, the story she had told was true, and the O'Connors had not covered up Patricia's killing. That afternoon, Stephanie O'Connor's interviews after her arrest were gone through. In her first interview, she had been asked about her family. She said her granddad Gus was amazing and Keith Johnson was a wonderful dad. Stephanie said she'd been shocked and angry when two weeks after Patricia's disappearance, Kieran had confessed what he did. Stephanie thought Patricia and Gus got on okay, but said they didn't interact much. Then she was asked about her hair colour. At the time of the interview, it was dyed blonde with pink in the front, but it was naturally brown or dark blonde, she said. Stephanie also confirmed that there was an alley along the side of the house, which she said had bikes blocking it and that it wasn't used much. During her second interview, Stephanie told Gardie that she didn't remember what her movements had been on the 29th of May 2017, three months before. But she remembered that there was a fight over the cats and she thought that Patricia, who she called Nana, was in a bad mood. They'd gone for a walk that evening and the next morning Patricia wasn't in the house. Stephanie said she didn't ever remember Patricia going missing before, but said that Patricia would leave if she wanted to. In her third interview, some of the CCTV clips were shown to Stephanie and she identified her grandmother in one, wearing a green patterned dress, moving a bin out in front of the house on the 29th. Stephanie thought that the figure moving in the back garden and going in the back door at five past ten on the 29th of May was her. Stephanie told police she thought she'd been at the shed and that she was bringing in a bag because her mother had asked her to. Stephanie had also been shown a piece of fabric taken from the gravesite in Wexford. It was green with a leaf pattern and the young woman said she believed that it was a piece of her grandmother's dress. It was pointed out that Stephanie had also identified her grandmother outside the house, wearing what appeared to be a patterned dress on the 29th of May, and that therefore the clothing didn't match with the trousers and coat worn by the figure leaving the house later that evening. Stephanie denied killing Patricia or assisting anyone in the killing of her granny. The court also heard details of Garda interviews with Keith Johnson after he was arrested on the 26th of September and brought to Bray Garda Station. Johnson explained again that he had done some work in the bathroom of the Mountain View Park house to help Louise and to make sure that the other members of the family weren't kicked out by Patricia. Mr Johnson said he had gotten on okay with Patricia but that she would give him stick. 
Keith Johnson also commented that he regretted an earlier statement he had made to Gardy after Kieran's confession, in which he had said he had wondered whether he was cleaning up a crime scene when he decided to fix the step in the bathroom, and said that he had been joking when he made that statement. Keith said he hadn't been asked to fix the bathroom and acknowledged that the timing might look suspicious, saying, quote, I know it looks bad, but that's just the way it is, end quote. Keith said he had become friends with Kieran Green, who he described as having, quote, no life outside those four walls, end quote, saying all Kieran got was abuse. Johnson admitted to having gone to shops after Patricia disappeared to get some items with Kieran, including plywood and tiles, and he felt horrible and sickened when he heard about what his former friend had done to Patricia. During this portion of the interview, Mr. Johnson had been very visibly upset and had put his head in his hands. Keith Johnson said he could not remember what he had been doing or where he was on the night Patricia O'Connor was killed, but that he thought he had been at their house for a few days in early June, right after. Testimony regarding interviews with Keith Johnson in September 2017 continued the following morning. Gardy had asked him where he thought Kieran Green had gotten the tools to dismember Patricia O'Connor. Johnson had responded that it was likely they were got from the shed. Some of the tools in the shed were Patricia's sons, and some were Keith Johnson's own. Keith told Gardy that Green didn't use tools and only bought cheap stuff from the pound store. But he had noticed in the period after Patricia was thought to have gone missing that Kieran had an electric saw. Mr. Johnson said he'd asked Mr. Green where he'd gotten it from, and Green had said someone had given it to him. Johnson had no knowledge of where Kieran had gotten the tools to dismember Patricia's body. He did not know why Mr. Green had bought what he had at the various hardware shops in the days after Patricia's death, and told Gardy that he had just simply not put two and two together. Keith told Gardy that he had been at home on the 9th and 10th of June and had not assisted in the disposal of Patricia's body in the mountains. He denied that Louise, Stephanie and Gus had been present and aware of what was going on when Patricia had been killed and he insisted that he had not helped clean up a murder scene nor had he assisted Kieran Green in any way. In court that afternoon, Nora Lee, a forensic scientist, told the court that after examining both the bag recovered from the Dublin mountains and a roll of black refuse sacks found in the O'Connor's shed, she believed that there was very strong support for the idea that the bag had come from the roll. The bag from the mountains did not match a bag from B&Q, but she could not eliminate the possibility that the bag had been purchased there. Then Professor Anthony Hooper told the court that he had examined Kieran Green while in custody at Rathfarnham Garda Station in June of 2017. Green had told him he had been injured two weeks before when he was hit with a hurley on his arm, head, side and stomach. Green also said he had blacked out at that time. The professor had noted areas of tenderness on the right temple and lower ribcage and a scrape on Green's right forearm but there were no visible bruises on Green's body. The injuries could have been a result of direct or indirect trauma, such as banging into something, but they were consistent with the story Green had told him. They were consistent with impact or fending something off in a defensive gesture.
On the 31st of January, at the end of the third week of the trial, Richard O'Connor, Patricia's son and the brother of Louise O'Connor, took to the stand. He had not lived in the house in Rathfarnham with his parents for 12 years, but agreed with Roisin Lacey for the prosecution that there was not always a happy atmosphere in the house. He said that Louise and the others weren't doing enough around the house for the number of them that were living there, and that this had caused friction. Richard said he was sort of stuck in the middle. Richard had first been told by his family that his mother had apparently left the house on the 31st of May. The day before had been his birthday and he had heard nothing from Patricia, so he called the house and Louise said that their mother had left with her bag packed after an argument. The next day, Richard had gone over to the house and he and his father had wanted to report Patricia missing, but Louise disagreed. Richard recalled that Kieran Green had said nothing. The report had been made in the end. On the 11th of June, Richard and Kieran Green had walked to Nutgrove Shopping Centre together, and on the way there, Richard had been giving out about his mother going off like that, telling the court he was trying to get more information from Kieran, but Mr. Green had made no reaction to the conversation at all. When Richard O'Connor was shown the CCTV clips from the back garden on the night of the 29th of May, he had identified his niece, Stephanie, as the person entering the house carrying a bag. Richard told the court that after Gardy were finished at the O'Connor's home, Louise and the kids had moved back in, but their father Gus had come to stay with him. Louise had since been evicted by their father, but he continued to stay with Richard. On cross-examination, Mr. O'Connor was asked for his impression of Kieran Green by counsel acting on the man's behalf, and Richard said that he thought Kieran was a bit of a fool or a moron, and that Louise was the decision-maker in their relationship. When cross-examined by counsel for his sister, Richard agreed that he had not mentioned Louise in his statement to Gardie when they reported Patricia missing. Mr. O'Connor continued, quote, as far as I knew, Kieran had done something to my mother and I was dealing with that situation. If I had an inkling there was something else, I would have tried to include every word, but I had no inkling at that time. On the 4th of February, the jury were brought once more through CCTV evidence in the case, which took several hours. Gardy had collected 343 hours of video material. It took two days to review all the relevant material, with Garda Allen Thompson providing a description of the footage to the jurors. Mr Justice McDermott ensured that the jury took a number of breaks during the lengthy review. In the early hours of May 30th, the video of the back of the house showed Kieran Green walking down the side passage of the house with two long-handled objects. A minute later, at 20 to 1 in the morning, at the front of the house, the Toyota car was moved and reversed into the driveway, and a male figure carried items from the car to the house. More footage showed that Gus O'Connor was outside the house at 12.42am and he'd walked around the house. At 10 to 1, the car unlocked and a man put a spade into it. At 10 past 2, the car left. Mr Green was caught on CCTV at a Texaco garage, putting petrol into the Toyota at a quarter past 2. And the car arrived at Mountain View Park at 5 to 6. 
Mr Green is in and out of the house after that and is seen placing a pair of shoes in the bin. He takes items from a black bin bag and puts them into the bin too. He brushes down the patio at the back of the house with water at 20 past six and at two minutes to nine, he brings his two sons out of the house and into the car for the school run. Green arrives back at a quarter to 11 and takes a bundle of clothes out of the house and puts it into the bin bag at the back of the house. He and Louise are shown talking by the car at 20 to 12. On the 1st of June, the CCTV picked up Louise and Green just inside the back door of the house, putting a number of things into black bags. Later that afternoon, Keith Johnson was in the back garden getting timber and fixing a kitchen press. Beginning the fifth week of the trial, on the afternoon of the 10th of February, the prosecution, at the request of the defence, entered prison records as evidence, which showed that Louise O'Connor had visited Kieran Green in Cloverhill Prison on three occasions, once alone and twice with Keith Johnson. When the two co-accused visited together, they had two children with them. Inspector Brian O'Keefe, a senior investigating officer, was also on the stand that day and agreed with Garnet Orange, senior counsel for Stephanie O'Connor, that CCTV footage of a figure leaving the O'Connor's home carrying a bag had been sent to a specialist analyst. This had been done in order to try and better identify the person in the images, but it had not provided any further identifying information. Inspector O'Keefe confirmed that the analyst's assessment had only been handed over to the defence after the trial had begun. Inspector O'Keefe also recalled that on the 14th of June he had spoken to Gus O'Connor, though the guard acknowledged that from Kieran Green's statements it appeared that he had acted alone and that there was no question at that time of any of the other occupants in the house having left the night that Patricia was killed. The initial Garda interview with Gus was voluntary and he was spoken with because Gus had reported Patricia missing on the 1st of June. However, after hours of CCTV had been examined by Gardee and the investigation had progressed, Gus O'Connor had been arrested on suspicion of involvement in murder. Mr O'Connor was charged on the 18th of October 2018 as a co-accused in the case and had initially been due to stand trial alongside Mr Green and his daughter and granddaughter. But just before the trial began, the 75-year-old had pleaded guilty to having made a report that Patricia was missing even though he knew she was already dead, therefore impeding prosecution. This was the first time that the members of the jury, or indeed the public, had heard this information. On the morning of Friday the 14th of February, Mr Justice McDermott informed the jury that the charge against Keith Johnson relating to the destruction of evidence alleged to have been caused by his refurbishment of the bathroom at the O'Connor's home had been withdrawn. Johnson still faced a charge in relation to impeding the investigation by helping Kieran Green to buy the tools allegedly used to conceal Mrs O'Connor's remains. The withdrawal of the charge was based on a matter of law, the judge said, and therefore it was not required for the issue to go before the jury. Then Joan Green, Kieran's mother, appeared on behalf of his defence. 
Mrs. Green told the court that her son had been assessed while in primary school and it was determined that he was two and a half years behind his peers. Kieran was taken out of class for a number of subjects and got one-on-one tutoring. Kieran had lived in the family home until he had met Louise O'Connor and he had had no other girlfriends up until that point. On the stand, Joan Green also said that while her son was awaiting trial and after Louise's arrest in September of 2017, she and her husband had agreed to act as guardians for Louise and Kieran's kids in the event that they were unable to care for them. Mrs. Green confirmed that she had visited her son while he was in Cloverhill Prison and that his condition had deteriorated and he'd lost some weight. Asked if she thought her son seemed paranoid, Joan agreed, but said she could not say whether or not he was seeing things. No other evidence was presented on behalf of Kieran Green. The court was then informed that no witnesses would be called on behalf of Keith Johnson, Louise O'Connor or Stephanie O'Connor in the trial. All the evidence had been heard. The jury were then excused for the weekend until the following Monday. On Monday the 17th of February, Roisin Lacey gave the closing statement on behalf of the prosecution. She told the court that Kieran Green had made a confession to the police and that confession of an altercation with Patricia O'Connor, who was struck on the head in a protracted struggle and assault, had aligned with the injuries found on Patricia's head at post-mortem. It was the state's case that Kieran Green had killed Patricia because of how he and other people in the house were treated by her. Even with the lack of forensic evidence, Ms. Lacey said there was a, quote, coherent narrative made of different actors, end quote, who were all working together so that the story came together like a jigsaw where one piece fit into the other. What happened that night was clear when you looked at the bigger picture, she said. The prosecutor continued that the jury were entitled to look at the issue of self-defence. In his statement, Green had said that Patricia had started the fight, so it was up to the six men and five women remaining on the jury to decide whether Green had killed in defence of himself or of others and whether or not excessive force had been used. Due to the lack of defensive wounds on any part of Patricia's body, and the fact that Mr. Green had said that the violent clash had gone on for 15 to 20 minutes, Ms. Lacey proposed that there was no basis for self-defense. Senior counsel for the state said that Mr. Green's change in his statement had come about in December because he had been jealous of what he believed was a rekindling of the relationship between Louise O'Connor and Keith Johnson. Up until that point, his story, as it related directly to Patricia's death, had been detailed and, more importantly, consistent on each telling. Ms. Lacey asked the jury whether they found it believable that Mr. Green would have agreed to take the blame like he had described in his December statement. This retelling, she argued, was not reliable. Louise O'Connor had played an integral role in concealing her mother's death and had supported Stephanie in her role of dressing up as her grandmother to try and give the impression that Patricia O'Connor was alive and well. Roisin Lacey reminded the jury that CCTV clips from early on on the 29th showed Patricia identified without question and that she had been wearing a flower-patterned dress and had a recognisable gait to her walk. 
However, the figure that the O'Connor said must have been Patricia leaving the house that evening was wearing jeans and had a hood up to conceal their face and had a quote-unquote sprightly walk. If all that was true, if Stephanie had dressed up as her grandmother, then Louise O'Connor had lied to the guardie in her statements about what had happened in the house that night and it was reasonable to infer that she had done that to cover up the killing of her mother. Ms. Lacey said that the notion that Keith Johnson had not been out buying hacksaws and bags and boots and gloves in order to assist in the disposal of Patricia's remains was, quote, unbelievable to its core, end quote. In fact, Mr. Johnson had told Gardie that Kieran was useless at DIY and knew nothing about tools. So it was incredibly odd that Mr. Green was out buying them at all. After Roisin Lacey had spent over a day summing up the state's case, Connor Devely, senior counsel, spoke on behalf of Mr. Green. Mr. Devely said that the prosecution wanted the jury to treat parts of his client's statements as truth and other parts as lies, depending on what suited the state's case. After all, there had been no mention of help from other members of the O'Connor family in the June statement, but despite this, they sat in court as co-accused. Mr. Devely asserted that Kieran Green's initial statement had been false, and the second version, told to Gardie in December, was in fact the accurate one. Kieran Green's defence counsel then turned to the issue of the CCTV. The senior counsel said it showed various members of the family all talking with one another in the back garden, all except Mr. Green. Connor Devely said that his client was, quote, detached. Nobody addresses him. He's just part of the furniture. He's a moron. He's useless. Maybe they treat him with some disrespect. Maybe he's a bit of a donkey, a beast of burden for the house, end quote. Green's state of mind in June had simply been to protect the others in the house, and his statement, the lawyer said, had been far from consistent. In his December statement, Green had tried to give the whole truth, the proper version of what had happened, but by that stage, six months on, he had been confused with the story he had told before. It was his senior counsel's assertion that there was still truth in it, though. Gus O'Connor had been in and out of the house that evening with the light on in his room until five past one. Mr. Devely went on to suggest that it was possible Gus O'Connor had been intimately involved in the events leading to Patricia's death. It was the defence's argument that by giving Gardie this first false statement, Green had been trying to protect his children and keep them with their mother. Once the others were arrested, his false confession no longer served a purpose. What's more, everyone who knew Kieran Green said he was a bit slow, but the prosecution was trying to get the jury to believe that he had helped to orchestrate a plan and was able to maintain that plan for a number of months. Devilly asked the jury to acquit his client, Kieran Green. On the 19th of February, Senior Counsel Garnet Orange, acting on behalf of Stephanie O'Connor, told the jury that the state had used circular logic and suffered from confirmation bias, making its case out against his client. He asked the jury to consider why, if Stephanie had tried to pretend to be her grandmother in order to be picked up by their neighbour's CCTV, had she then allowed herself to be caught on camera in the back garden half an hour later? 
Further, the camera at the front of the house only picked up one third of the O'Connor's garden and it was possible that not every person who had come and gone from the house had been captured in the footage. Mr. Orange warned the jury that they must be very careful when considering the CCTV evidence and reminded them that Gardie had tried to identify the person in the footage by way of a video analyst, but they'd failed to do so and had then turned over this report late to the defence. Again, the prosecution was accused of cherry-picking evidence that aligned with their narrative of the crime while ignoring anything that did not support their story. Michael Bowman, defending Louise O'Connor, said that there was no proof whatsoever that Louise had acted in any way to try and cover up her mother's killing. There was CCTV which showed her in the back garden interacting with other members of her family, but there was no way to know what was being said, and Louise had been obscured in the tape by a brick wall. Besides that, it was perfectly normal for members of the O'Connor family to stand in the back garden together. Mr. Bowman said, quote, Guilt by association is not a basis to convict Louise O'Connor or anybody else. End quote. Louise O'Connor's lawyer also pointed out that the state argued his client had lied in statements and asked them to infer that this was because she was involved, guilty. But it was possible that there were other reasons for Miss O'Connor to lie. Perhaps she was trying to protect her daughter. And if she lied, she had done so in September of 2017, not in June. Mr. Bowman pointed out that despite what he had said on the stand, Richard O'Connor had not told Gardie that his sister had tried to dissuade him from reporting their mother missing. Surely he would have told Gardie this or mentioned it in his statement, but he hadn't. James Dwyer, acting for Keith Johnson, said it would be wrong to presume that because his client had been present for the purchase of items that could have been used in the disposal of Patricia's body, that Mr. Johnson had known what the tools were for, or that he had coordinated with Mr. Green. Mr. Dwyer pointed out that when the two men had gone shopping, they were open about their purchases and had made no attempt to hide the items. The prosecution was asking the jury to speculate as to what Mr. Johnson had known at the time. Mr. Johnson told Gardie he had no idea what the shopping trip had been for. He had not been in the house until the 1st of June, and Mr. Green's initial account of Patricia's death had specifically said that Keith Johnson had no idea what was happening when they were at the various hardware stores. Evidence from his mobile phone showed Mr. Johnson was not in Wexford, and Mr. Dwyer reminded the jury that though his client might have had suspicions about what he was doing while fixing up the O'Connor's bathroom, charges in relation to that had been withdrawn. That evening, Mr. Justice Paul McDermott began his charge to the jury, which took up a number of days. Justice McDermott told the jury once again that statements made by the co-accused could not be used as evidence against any of the others and outlined the various potential verdicts that could be reached against all four defendants. If the jury found that Kieran Green had acted in self-defence, then the jury could return a verdict of guilty of manslaughter. The judge continued that the jury were to put out of their minds the gruesome details of how Patricia O'Connor's remains were found, and they were to leave their emotions out of their discussions. Nor were the jury to let the fact that Gus O'Connor had pleaded guilty hold any sway on their decision, as it was totally irrelevant. 
On the afternoon of Monday the 24th of February, the 11 jurors remaining in the panel retired to begin their deliberations. After an hour and 40 minutes, they were sent to a hotel at 4.53pm. They resumed the next morning at 10.53 and asked for an easel and flip chart and to see CCTV footage from the trial once more. That afternoon, at around 4pm, after four hours and 24 minutes of discussion, the jury returned. They were about to be sent home for the day, but it became apparent that they had come to a decision in one of the cases. They had reached a verdict in relation to the charge against Kieran Green. Kieran Green was found guilty of the murder of Patricia O'Connor. He stood silently but blinked rapidly as he stood when the registrar read the unanimous verdict. The jury were discharged for the rest of the day but would return the following day to deliberate the verdicts relating to the other three defendants. On the 26th of February, the jury reached their verdict in relation to the charges against Stephanie O'Connor. They had taken another three and a half hours to find Stephanie guilty by a unanimous vote of impeding the prosecution of Kieran Green. Again, as the verdict was read out, the defendant had no reaction, though a woman in the gallery sitting near the family was heard to gasp. The jury would once again return the following day to continue deliberations in the outstanding verdicts. On the afternoon of Thursday, the 27th of February, the jury returned with their verdict in relation to the charges against Louise O'Connor. Again, there was a unanimous verdict in relation to the charge and Ms. O'Connor was found guilty of impeding a prosecution. She made no reaction when the verdict was read out. It had taken the jurors another three hours of discussion bringing the total time the jury had been behind closed doors to 11 hours and 17 minutes. The final verdict came in the following day, where the jury concluded their work by delivering a unanimous guilty verdict against Keith Johnson. They had been deliberating for a total of 12 hours and 4 minutes in the past week to reach decisions on the charges against all of the co-defendants in the proceedings. One person yelled out yes when the verdict was announced, while members of the families of those involved in the trial wept openly in the public gallery. The court was adjourned then, for sentencing to be heard on the 20th of April, to allow for time for the preparation of victim impact statements. On leaving the criminal courts of justice, Patricia's ten siblings made a statement and expressed their thanks to Gardi, the courts, and in particular to the family who had first discovered their sister's remains. They had gone through a traumatic experience and yet had cooperated fully with Gardi in order to seek justice for Patricia O'Connor. The press were told that the family was pleased with the verdicts and said that they were disgusted with the way Patricia had been portrayed in the court, saying she was a kind and giving person. Sentencing in the case was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which began around March of 2020, resulting in the closure of shops and services and curtailing government services such as the court system. Kieran Green was remanded in continuing custody, while Louise, Stephanie and Gus O'Connor and Keith Johnson all remained out on bail, awaiting a new date for their sentencing hearing.
Two months later, on the 22nd of June 2020, Richard O'Connor was finally able to say his piece in the Central Criminal Court, telling the judge in his victim impact statement at the sentencing hearing that he had been sickened by the spiteful lies that had been told about his mother in court. The same sentiment was echoed by one of Patricia's sisters, who read out a statement on behalf of the deceased siblings. Kieran Green was then handed down the mandatory life sentence, backdated to June 2017, when he was first brought into custody. The four co-accused appeared for sentencing the following Friday, the 26th of June. Each of them faced up to a possible 10-year sentence for the crime that they had been found guilty of. Mr Justice McDermott described the series of actions taken by the defendants as simply appalling, noting that throughout, there had been no effort to get help or ring emergency services or get police to the house after Patricia had been attacked and killed. He continued that although both Louise and Stephanie had now accepted the jury's verdict, he was not convinced that the full truth of what had happened that night was really known. Justice McDermott was satisfied, however, that Stephanie had not been involved in planning, nor had she acted without direction, that is, on her own. Louise had expressed her devastation at her mother's murder and at the consequences that her actions had had. Mr Justice McDermott noted that she had lost her family in its entirety and her three youngest children would have no parents for the time being. In relation to Keith Johnson, the judge said he had shown callous disregard and total disrespect for Patricia when he had knowingly helped Kieran Green purchase tools to be used to desecrate her body. But Johnson still maintained his total innocence, and his lawyers told the court he was a dutiful and attentive father. Louise O'Connor was sentenced to three years. Stephanie received two. Each had six months suspended. Gus O'Connor was handed down an 18-month term, and Keith Johnson was told he would be in prison for three years. After sentencing, Patricia's son Richard made a brief statement. He said, quote, My mom was a kind, loving person, with many years left to live that were so cruelly taken from her. The sentences given today we feel were not enough, but no length of time is long enough for the crime they have committed. May they live with this on their conscience for the rest of their lives. End quote. Both Kieran Green and Keith Johnson lodged papers for their appeals in August of 2020 and are awaiting their hearing dates. None of the O'Connors asked for their appeals to be heard in the case. It will be interesting to see the grounds for appeal argued on behalf of the two men, particularly if any new evidence has been uncovered which might shed more light on the narrative of the crime. It's hard not to agree with Mr Justice McDermott's remarks after the conclusion of the trial that it seemed likely that the full truth of what occurred on that night on the 29th of May 2017 has yet to emerge. It's possible that the full story of how it was that Patricia O'Connor's remains ended up dispersed through the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains will never be known. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Mens Rea Pod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Thanks so much to everyone who has signed up and to everyone who continues to support the show. It's hugely important to be able to keep Mens Rea going 
And along with my undying love for helping out, you get ad-free and bonus episodes and nifty merch. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Thanks also to our sponsors for this week, Best Fiends. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports the show, so check them out in the show notes. A gentle reminder that there will be no new episode in two weeks' time. Expect a new one in your feeds on the 26th of July. Our theme music is Quinn's song, The Dance Begins, by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. Please check out our featured podcast this week, How the Yes Was Won. It tells the story of the fight for reproductive rights in Ireland. I can't recommend it highly enough. And you'll find the details in the show notes. This episode was researched, written, and produced by me, your host, Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, guys. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Don't do anything I wouldn't do.